0: This Black History Month, President Biden recently announced his pick for a new Supreme Court justice to succeed, retiring justice Stephen Breyer, and his pick to fill that seat is a black woman, which, if appointed to the position, would become the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court in our nation's history. Nobody has ever done that before, and it would for sure be groundbreaking, to say the least. And... This recent decision has been discussed by many people out there, including Elaine Gross, who currently writes a column in the Long Island Advocate. And she is also the founder and president of Erase Racism, a civil rights organization based right here on Long Island. And Elaine is joining us now to discuss more about her organization. Ms. Gross, thank you so much. For taking the time to join us today invitation so to start off uh, I was want curious if you could fill us in a little more on what exactly your organization does
1: sure uh, we started in 2001 and our focus has always been to identify and address institutional and structural racism uh, so we are not primarily helping an individual, uh, for example, that feels they've been discriminated against or something like that, but we are focused on policy. Uh, so we've uh, we've been responsible uh, for changing laws, improving laws. We've worked with institutions to um, help them with diversity, equity, and inclusion policies um, and with local school districts. So our, our work is very much grounded in research because the whatever it is that we are proposing or that we're advocating for, um, that comes out of the research we do on the problem and then we look at existing ways that things are being done, whether it's uh, through laws, we look for um, gaps uh, in protections, and we push for increased um, enforcement. Uh, I think the easiest way to explain that is to use housing as an example, if I may. Um, We started at the very beginning Uh, looking at housing discrimination on Long Island and uh, we had some lawsuits related to rentals we did pair testing we were able to see that um, the black testers were told there were no apartments available the white testers were shown the vacancies etc we decided that not only did we need greater protection Uh, because it was a loophole, if you will, related to people who were using Section 8 vouchers, for example, to uh, pay for their housing. And that wasn't really protected under the Federal Fair Housing Act, uh, you know, back in 1968. So we, long story short, we changed the Nassau and Suffolk law to include legal source of income. And then we organized a statewide coalition and then in 2019, that same protection, legal source of income, was amended to the New York State human rights law. Uh, and, and that became law in 2019. Uh, so that's what an example of something that happens on the um, organizing side, if you will. Uh, and the policy side Uh, in a similar way we uh, suggested to Newsday's uh, publisher Mr. Dolan uh, when they inquired about our lawsuits that they use paired testing and an investigation which they did Uh, three-year investigation looking at for sale housing and they found what everybody has found across the country so this is This is not a unique situation, but we are particularly bad here uh, because Long Island is the 10th most racially segregated metro region uh, when looking at black-white segregation. So that fact and Newsday's investigation really spurred uh, three committees from the New York State Senate Um, I was asked to testify at the public hearings that they had and make recommendations etc and then in December of last year we had nine bills that were passed all related to strengthening fair housing enforcement in New York State so let me stop there that's just kind of on the housing side to give people an idea of what we do
2: yeah so I remember reading about this um, investigation regarding like the redlining situation in New York, and it was honestly shocking. Um, I do want to ask you if, you know, since it's February, aka Black History Month, I was wondering if there's anything that uh, your organization had planned to either celebrate Black History Month or, um, you know, educate Long Islanders or help the Black or BIPOC community. Um, either in the future or anything that you've already done to celebrate the month?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, to celebrate the month, what we have usually done is we try to be as available as possible for um, programs that people are holding. Um, You know, I'm speaking this evening um, at a program. I think every day there is something that we're doing to try to help educate people, um, and which is sort of what we do all the time, but we do it much more <laughs> during Black History Month. And then uh, the other thing that we decided to do this year is to really help people make the connection between Black History is American history, and There are many efforts afoot to basically say we don't have, you know, there is no such thing as structural racism. We don't even have a racism problem here, Um, and consequently we don't need to do things to address that problem, and so if there's anything that I would pull out Uh, is that we are doubling down on, yes, there are things you need to do, and this is one of them. Um, I I spent two days uh, up in Albany uh, this week uh, related to something called accessory dwelling units. And um, I don't know if your listeners have heard what that is, but basically we're talking about... um, uh, you know, relatively small um, apartments, rentals, that can be added on to an existing home, or it can be uh, on, on the property of an existing home, a standalone uh, small house. Uh, it can be a, um, uh, over the garage or, or basement or attic kind of apartment. And the reason why we're talking about this is uh, in the governor's budget this year, there was an inclusion of saying that accessory dwelling units should be allowed to be built uh, on any existing um, single family uh, zoning property. Uh, where there is a, a home already, you should be able to get a permit to either make the changes to your, your home that would allow you to have a legal rental unit or you could construct a, uh, sometimes they call them, what do they call them, T- tiny houses or, you know, small, small home. And um, there has been a lot of pushback from municipal leaders. Um, we know that there are a lot of just ordinary residents that are in favor of this. Uh, people have been signing petitions, organizations have been uh, talking about why it's good for their constituency, etc. And yesterday there was a press conference uh, with uh, up in uh, Albany um, on this topic. One of the reasons why we are so interested in it, in addition to the fact that it's good for homeowners, because people need the existing, uh, the uh, additional revenue, uh, and certainly including African-American people who own homes and may be struggling to to keep their home, the additional revenue can really make a difference. And um, we have, a. Severe affordable housing problem on Long Island. Um, we have um, so many people who are uh, unable, number one, to find housing because of that discrimination. I'm going to address that in a second here. And also they're just unable to afford housing. And uh, so these units uh, could boost the number of of units available and they would be much more affordable than having to buy a huge house and uh, or even rent a huge house. And if the amendments are put in that we've been pushing for, we can also make sure that everyone has access to this benefit. Uh, So what I mean by that is if the apartments have to be made publicly known to a broad uh, area, to the region, um, rather than having it only be rented by word of mouth or something like that, um, then black people would be able to gain access to that resource. Um, And there's also a provision of some state funding uh, grants and loans, uh, which could help low-income and moderate-income uh, homeowners, so that includes Black homeowners, uh, to make the necessary adjustments, uh, renovations in their existing home, so that their what's called an ADU or accessory dwelling unit would be legal. And, uh, and they could then rent that out. Uh, so it, it's one of those things that uh, for the people who are interested in keeping the current racially segregated housing patterns in place and to not have that change on a go-forward basis, they're talking about, well, the, you know, you're interfering with home rule, uh, et cetera. Uh, the reality is home rule has been weaponized to keep black people out of various communities. And that's been going on for decades. Uh, the federal government kicked it off uh, in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, where they were requiring um, racial covenants and deeds, uh, et cetera, uh, like Leathertown. Um to make sure that the new housing that was being built was racially segregated. So they were supporting housing for whites only. And then these local municipalities, the villages, the towns have done a great job of uh, keeping black people in particular out of various communities By not allowing multifamily housing, and uh, certainly multifamily housing that has affordable units, so we know for a fact that it can work. You know, there are some developments that have been built uh, that that work quite well, but um, overwhelmingly, we're not reaching uh, the need. The need is so great and we're not anywhere near reaching the need. So this is a a fairly low-hanging fruit, if you will, way of um, increasing housing, which black people could benefit from. Um, And still, there are people that are up in arms uh, with this.
0: Well, definitely, indeed. And uh, before we let you go... Uh, today, how can our listeners uh, get involved more with your organization?
1: Well, they should certainly visit our website, EraseRacismNY.org, and they can easily just fill out a, a form, you know, with their name and email address, et cetera, just to either volunteer, or if they want to become a partner, um, which means that they would have gotten the special mailing, for example, asking them to sign a petition related to ADUs. Uh, In the past, when we've had lobby days or things of that nature, um, we also turn to partners uh, who want to be more engaged. Um, When we get back to having more in-person, having in-person events, Uh, Sometimes people help with those events, Uh, often they attend those events, Um, uh, but there are different programs that they could work on if they're particularly interested in public schools, for example, another area where we do a lot of work, Um, you know, they could indicate that when they sign up to be a partner
2: yeah so thank you so much for coming onto our show today um i do want to shout out the opinion piece that you wrote for the long island advocate it's called black history and a black woman justice honestly you made so many amazing points um regarding biden and his decision to um nominate a black woman to serve on the u.s supreme court which would make her the first black woman to have that seat um So, yeah, if you want to talk about that article, um, if not, thank you so much for coming on our show today.
1: Well, thank you. And, yes, basically I was pointing out that when other presidents, and I use Donald Trump as an example and Ronald Reagan, when they pledged to nominate a woman, there was no uh, hoopla about that, no backlash, um, you know, and they did nominate women. course they nominated white women but when biden said he was going to nominate a black woman you know we had um you know a lot of people uh pushing back i used a couple of examples in terms of ted cruz saying you know that this was an insult to black women and and all at the same time saying black women are you know only six percent of the u.s population and that biden is saying that the other 95 percent of Americans you know that he doesn't give a damn about them uh, you know they're ineligible um, it, it, there was a also a crew um, there was somebody else that made a comment uh, uh, as well uh, uh, Senator Weicker from Mississippi uh, basically saying that that person would be a beneficiary of, of affirmative action so it it points to the assumption that black women can't possibly be qualified for this position, and yet all of the people that are being talked about—if anybody looks at the credentials—they uh, are all supremely qualified for the position. So it's just another example of how, even in 2022, there continues to be a um, uh, a willful. <laughs> Ignorance uh, of what Black people have min- have managed to achieve under stru- you know with structural racism alive and well. So despite that, um, we do have uh, individuals who have proven themselves to be uh, worthy, and I think that it's it's. It really is just another example of how um, structural racism could and has kept out black women from serving on the highest court of this land. And so I'm excited by the prospects that um, pretty soon uh, we will have our first black woman.
0: Well, definitely exciting indeed. Miss Gross. thank you so much once again for taking the time to join us this morning. And we hope to have you back on our airwaves real soon.
1: You're welcome.